Amen. Good morning. How you doing, church? Wow, a lot of you here. All right, here we go. This is a good place to be just before we kick off the new year. Hope you had a good Christmas. Hope you got the presents you were hoping to get. Uh, at least some good socks and underwear, right? I mean, that's, if we get that, we're in good shape. Someone gave me a lottery ticket, and uh, I haven't looked at the numbers, but they were picked last night in Idaho, so I'm hoping to win millions today when I go home from church. We'll see. Probably not. That's probably the best. But we are here to look at uh, a couple of verses of Scripture, particularly in Romans chapter 12 this morning. I just want us to meditate on Romans chapter 12, verse 3. I'm talking, uh, calling this evaluating yourself in 20. 20. Uh, in our men's group, we've been studying uh, Romans 12, um, really how to be a transformed man of God, being guided uh, largely uh, by a book written by Chip Ingram, and actually this uh, sermon will be largely influenced by him today, um, that teaches us how to live a transformed life. And we, we get the, the basic instruction of that in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Because of what God has done for us, we are to give ourselves to him. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. There's that key word that we grab for our mission statement. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that's the background of Romans 12. Now the verse I want to look at this morning is is verse 3, and that's this one. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And so here are instructions on how to think about ourselves, how to evaluate ourselves uh, as we go into uh, the new year. And he starts by saying in this verse, it's for by the grace that's been given to me that we're to evaluate ourselves. It's because of grace that we can actually evaluate ourselves well. Because God, when he comes to us and when we come to him and say, okay, how am I doing? How do I look at myself going into 2020? we know that our God is gracious and he does not greet us with condemnation or scolding, but treats us with grace. And whatever he asks of us and whatever he's asking us to do, he gives us the grace to do it and the power to do it and promises to go with us. And so we can look at ourselves and face ourselves as this verse is asking us to do, how we think about ourselves. We can do it courageously and bravely today because of the gospel, because all of our shame and our guilt has been taken away when we come before him. It's the good news of the gospel. We don't have to be like Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 where they were hiding and ducking and fearing and all those things that we do when we're kind of in the throes of sin, but we are a new people and we are called now to look at ourselves bravely. We don't need to posture or pretend or put on some sort of false pretense about ourselves, but we should face honestly. In fact, the very best person we can be is the person God made us to be and to walk in his grace to be that person. Uh, Probably like me, you have had days when you've kind of put on that pretense. I remember early on when I was a preacher uh, in the early 90s, just starting out, and and I, I remember some of my early sermons 
what I would do is I would listen to a preacher I really, really liked and I listened to his sermon and I would listen to it over and over and over again until I just about had his sermon memorized and then I'd try to preach it with all the inflections he had, you know, and all the words he had. I was so good, right? <laughs> it's not who we're called to be, right? That's, not, that's putting on a false pretense. It's not facing who God has made me to be. We don't need to try to pretend something, be something we're not, as we evaluate ourselves. And so he comes in this verse and he says to us now, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Okay, let's, let's meditate on this a bit. So we're not to think too highly of ourselves. Pride uh, sneaks in easily and we begin to think of ourselves better than others. We create categories as we compare ourselves to others where we measure up pretty well. And in those categories, whatever they might be, when we measure ourselves against somebody else, we feel pretty good. But the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, comparing ourselves is foolishness. But here's, here's the verse. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. <laughs> It's not a wise thing to do. We're called to be what God called us to be, not comparing ourselves to somebody else. When we do that, we tend to look down on them. And in pride, often we might think that we are sort of the key to the well-being of an organization or a situation. And when people don't recognize how important we are, we get angry with them. Perhaps you have known people um, who seem to have an answer for everything and they expect you to listen to it and do it and implement it and when you don't, they get angry with you. I've had friends like that. But God wants us to be a blessing and to make a difference and he's wired us to do that. But we need to understand that he doesn't need us, right? The day in an organization when I am gone or anybody else is gone, God can still do his work that he's planning to do. He wants us, he uses us, he uses us to benefit and bless people, but we aren't the answer to all the world's problems. None of us are. In fact, the Bible says that if we are silent, the very rocks will cry out and worship Jesus. <laughs> and God will be God regardless of whether he has us or not. And so we're to have an attitude of humility and servanthood. I love Philippians 2, 3. It says, do nothing from rivalry, comparison, conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 7 of Philippians 2, Jesus made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And so we are to be a humble people, uh, not comparing, but serving others. So we're not to think too highly of ourselves, but we are also not to think too highly of ourselves. Think about that, right? In other words, we're to think highly of ourselves, just don't think too highly of ourselves. See, the opposite, I think, is the more common problem, I think, really, where we tend to think of ourselves too lowly. Oh, I am a worm. I am weak. I am useless. I am nothing. I have nothing to offer anybody. Right? We, you've met, we've met people like this. We've been in those chairs probably where we see ourselves kind of as this person that is super needy, pleading for attention and looking for someone to tell us differently as we berate ourselves. They might correct us and we hope they will to make us feel better about ourselves. I think actually our culture 
uh, these days pushes people this direction, kind of to be victims, because when you get yourself in that victim chair, there's power there, you know? You can demand attention, you can kind of garner pity and, and special treatment. Um, and look, this is not to minimize that hard things happen to people and hard things happen to us and we need healing and we need God's grace and we need to stand up for powerless people in our culture. We need to do that. But for any of us to live in a pity party is not healthy. <laughs> That's thinking not too highly of ourselves. We need to think well of ourselves. Christian, you are a child of the king. You are filled with the spirit. God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we're to walk in that power. We are accepted by him. And even when bad things happen to us, God uses those to build a foundation in our lives where we can minister to people better than if we hadn't gone through it. A very good friend of mine in Nebraska who ran the recovery ministry at our church there, said commonly to those that were addicted, there are no ultimate victims when you're in Jesus because God takes everything and uses it for good and is doing an unstoppable, good, and perfect work in you. And he would challenge those people regularly to not be victims. <clears throat> I think what's interesting about both of these things, <clears throat> whether we think too highly of ourselves or we think too lowly of ourselves, that it's rooted in pride. Because pride really is a preoccupation with yourself. Right? And when you get too focused on yourself and not on what God is calling you to do and be, then you either feel way too puffed up or you get way too discouraged. Woe is me. It's too much self-importance or too much of the I am worthless. Right? Okay, so many of us probably now recently have gone through this thing at Christmas where we had our picture taken of us with a group of people, usually in our family, right? And we get this picture and it comes back from, in our case, Walgreens or wherever that you kind of get your picture taken. Who do you look for first in that picture? And how do you feel if you look particularly good? <laughs> and how did you react when you didn't look so good this year? <laughs> right? Preoccupation with self leads to all kinds of reactions that are extreme, right? And uh, God is calling us to not think too highly of ourselves. But he says, then going on, but to think with sober judgment. I love that. To think with sober judgment. That means to think with an accurate view of ourselves. How do we think with an accurate view of ourselves? You know, as we live life, we build inaccurate and wrong views of ourselves, I think. Um, based on experiences we have, based on things people say to us, we tend to build perspectives ourselves that are not truthful, that are not God's. Right? Perhaps you were raised in a home where you were told often you're a failure, that you don't measure up. I remember somebody in my childhood saying to me, you are an embarrassment to me. 
And here I am 45 years later saying it in a sermon. They're piercing, right? But I'm not an embarrassment to God, right? But, but I build a false view based on things that you hear. And you, you hide then, you pull back, you don't courageously step out into the challenges God gives you because you're afraid of failing because you've been told you're a failure. You don't have a sober judgment of yourself. Or you might have the opposite problem. You were the center of the universe growing up in your home. <laughs> and everybody should pay attention to you. Everybody should revere you, right? This is why I actually hate the word reverend. Once in a while, I go somewhere and they call me Reverend Lund. I'm going, who? In, like, where's that person? I'm not to be revered, right? I'm to be a servant, but it's possible. Then we have to uphold sort of this center of the universe perspective that everybody should cater to us our whole life through. But all of these are a non-truthful judgment of ourselves. We're to judge ourselves with sober judgment based on God's view of us. And this is what I think this next phrase in this verse Uh, is asking of us is to think of ourselves with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. According to the measure of faith that God has assigned. There's a lot of discussion about this phrase amongst scholars and those who write. Um, But I like this. That we are to think of ourselves according to who we are by faith. We're to evaluate ourselves based on the position we have before God by faith. And that when you believe in God and trust Jesus Christ, his son, as your savior and your Lord and give your life to him, the Bible says now you are a new creature. You're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You are now in Christ, and you are to evaluate yourself according to who you are in him. This is the way you have sober judgment. The gospel tells us that we are born in a place of rebellion against God. We act on that and act it out and live it out in countless ways. And then God comes and convicts us by his Holy Spirit that we are sinners and that Jesus was God's son and he died for our sins to take our guilt and our shame. And the Bible tells us to put our faith in him and to repent and turn and trust him. And then when we do personally accept Christ and what he did for us, the Bible says we become new, we become children of God. And now we have this posture before God of both humility, knowing where we've come from, and confidence knowing who we are in Christ. The Bible says 90 times in the New Testament that we are in Christ. That's how you are to evaluate yourself with sober judgment. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. And so who we are before God is entirely based on grace and not based on our performance. Let 
in his book, Chip Ingram says that he and his wife came from both sides of sober judgment on this issue. He was, in his view, very puffed up and confident, a preacher of a large church, and thought too highly of himself. And she came from a background where she uh, felt very small and unable to do anything, and they both needed to move toward center. (laughs) And so what they did was they created a series of cards, three by five cards, and wrote five truths on them that they recited to each other each day. And this is what the five cards said. Cut down a bit. Number one, you are beautiful and you're made by God, Psalm 139. Two, you are wanted, appreciated, and loved by God, Romans 8, 31 to 32. Three, you are righteous, robed in purity and goodness, Isaiah 61, 10. Four, you are secure and nothing can separate you from God's love, Romans 8, 38 and 39. Five, you are competent and equipped by the Holy Spirit for every good work, Ephesians 2.10. By the way, that fifth one is the one I got to recite to myself regularly. Before God, you have the Holy Spirit in you and you are competent to do what I have called you to do. All of us probably find one in there that we need to hear and hear regularly, but they would recite these five. For years, they said, over and over again, every morning to each other to remind who they were in Christ so that they would judge themselves with a sober mind. And by the way, this is important. All of those things are true, even in your worst day. All of those things are true when you just lied. All of those things are true when you just got a D on a test. All of those things are true when you just got fired at work. All of those things are true when you just fell into that worst sin one more time. All of those things are true when you just yelled at your kids. (laughs) Because it's not based on your performance. They're based on what God has given you in Christ. And being able to stand in that and preach that gospel to you in your darkest moment is the key to getting out of those things that hold you. And so we're to evaluate ourselves soberly based on who we are by faith in Christ with confidence and strength and humility, knowing it's his grace, and then walk it out in our lives in 2020. It's who we are in Christ. If you're a Christian today, you are those things. And we're called to walk it out. In fact, it's interesting. We're not going to preach these verses today. But the next verses then say to us, go and and live and serve Christ and use your gifts and, and function as a body in the church. And I think that's actually a really good reminder that as we evaluate ourselves soberly, now we're to act on it and to walk in it, to walk it out in our daily lives. And we're to do it as a body. We're to do it as a family. We're to preach this gospel to one another here at Risen Life. That's why we show up together. Because we need to speak to one another of God's love and grace and acceptance. Let's be that kind of church. When people walk in here, they feel the gospel. And God's amazing love and grace and acceptance of us. Saying to us, you can do this by my grace. I remember... we just got a Christmas card this time of year. I love getting those Christmas cards from people, you know, and you, you read about them, and sometimes it's from far away. And one of the families that lives in, in Iowa, actually, um, told us that uh, a gentleman who we had loved for decades had just passed away this past fall. 
And um, they were precious to us, this husband and wife, because we had moved 2,000 miles away from home at age 22. And that first Sunday, we walked into church and we were greeted by this couple who loved us and paid attention to us and put their arms around us and invited us into their home and parented us (laughs) in those crazy days when we were 2,000 miles away from mom and dad. And they endeared themselves to us. And so it was a sad thing for us to, my wife's crying now, it was a sad thing for us to see that this person had passed away. But I want to know who walked in here today that you need to love and care for. Who's in here today that, you, that needs to have that person put their arms around them and care for them? That needs to say, we love you, we accept you, you be part of this family, <laughs> right? We need those people. And somebody's here today that needs that. And where to find them, gang? <laughs> where are they? Right? It's walking out the gospel. Well, as we look ahead now to uh, 2020, uh, I want to ask the question based on this verse, what is God calling you and me to do and be this year? Uh, We're to um, evaluate ourselves with sober judgment and act on it. In other words, I love Colossians 3.23, whatever we do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, right? It's not our job to cater to all the expectations and the desires of everybody around us, but to before God say, God, what do you want me to do and be? I, I can be a pleaser, and I'm just telling you that'll just torture your soul. <laughs> you know that. Um, let's, let's please the Lord, Let's do what he's calling us to do. We are uh, who we are in Christ. And let's ask ourselves, what are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? What has God brought us to do and to be? Uh, as we look at the new year, what are our gifts? As it says in just a few more verses in Romans 12, what have we been wired to do? Those are the things we ought to be doing, not what everybody else wants us to do. What are your real priorities What are the things that are important and not urgent? The urgent things scream at us. But what's important to do? Where are our priorities? Where are we making disciples? Where is it that we're advancing the kingdom? Are we doing those things or are we being scattered about by everybody's whims and expectations? And what has God uniquely put in our path to take on in his strength this year? I was thinking about Jonah this week, you know, and, and I've had my days doing this. We all have, I think, where I looked at what God had for me to do and I ran for the dock <laughs> and found myself in the proverbial belly of the whale. You've been there probably too in its own way. And God had to call me back. But God says, based on who you are in Christ, that you are competent, that you are loved, that you are secure, You can do what I've set before you this year and do it and walk in courage. And by the way, anything God asks you to do this year, he's gonna resource you to do it. He doesn't ask you to do something that he doesn't give you the resources to do. And you get to just experience the joy of having him be with you. See, let's be brave. Let's be brave Christians in 2020. I think God is calling us to do some big things as a church this year. I really believe that. I'm seeing some really cool things that we're talking about as leadership that I'm really excited about. And I think he's gonna call us to do some really big things. One of which is to be very much more outward focused than we've been in the past. And 
In fact, let me just throw in this little thing here. The next four weeks are going to be a great four weeks to invite your friends to church because we're going to talk about marriage. And people like that kind of subject, right? And uh, each of the preaching pastors is going to take a Sunday and it's going to be pretty cool, I think. I hope, you know, we'll see. But that's a, that, those are good Sundays to invite your friends. Bring a guest. In the next, we're going to talk about marriage at church, right? If nothing else, it's going to be funny to listen to all these guys talk. But what's he calling us to be? What's he calling you to be in 2020? And according to these, this verse, I think, the thing we want to most be is what God has made us to be. Not try to be somebody else. Not to be what other people want us to be. Let's come before God and say, God, what do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? What are you calling me uh, to be a part of this next year? Um, one of the things that we try to do an awful lot around here, we talk about getting every, we got all these people on a bus. We kind of picture everybody on a bus and <laughs> getting everybody in the right seat, in the right place, doing what they've been wired by God to do so that we best function together. How has God wired you and what is he calling you to do? So, this morning as we face the new year, I think the place to start, and we'll just do it. In fact, I'll have the deacons come on up now at this time and get ready for communion. Um, is, is let's come back to the gospel. And let's seek God. And let's um, ask him, what are you calling me to do and be in 2020? Um, and let's hear from him one more time as we confess our sin. Because he asks us to confess our sin. That I accept you, I love you, I forgive you. My son paid the price for your sin. And if you've never ever asked Jesus to forgive you, this would be a great day to do that. If you see that Jesus is the Son of God, God in human flesh, and that he died and he rose again. You believe that. Tell him, I give my life to you. Thank you for dying for me. Come into my life and take control. This would be a good day for that too. And so whatever it is, let's just take a moment. Let's come back to Christ. Let's come back to the gospel. Let's get ourselves ready, and then we're going to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. Let's just take a few moments in prayer together quietly. practice what's called open communion here, which means if you have accepted Christ as your Savior and would like to participate in